This has been such a wonderful New Year's meeting. And lift up your eyes is such a wonderful theme for a New Year's meeting. It's a great reminder that we should take a look around us and see all the opportunities that are right in front of us. Jesus was showing his disciples the spiritual harvest. But if I understand the passage correctly in John chapter 4, Jesus' idea of a field white to harvest represented a people whose heart, their hearts were turned to God and they were waiting for Christ. If this is the case, then the Samaritan city of Sukkar was exactly that type of field. Not only did the woman at the well know about the Christ, it seems that many among the people in Sukkar also knew about the Christ, and they were looking for and waiting for him. But how did they get to the point that they were even looking for the Christ? Well, clearly someone labored among them. It is apparent that it was neither Jesus nor his disciples that had done it. In fact, we don't know who planted the seed, but someone did. And Jesus told the disciples that he would send them to places just like that city, where they would reap without ever having labored there. I think that it is a very important, something important to note that Jesus made a distinction between the laborers, which we would also call the sowers, and the reapers. In John chapter 4, verse 38, it uses the word laborer twice, two different Greek words, and their definitions are quite similar, but to, together they combine to mean a feeling of fatigue, hard work, toil, and to be weary. So we can see by these definitions that sowing spiritual seed was and still is a difficult task. Now we do find in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, that it also calls the reapers laborers. But here, yet again, it's a different Greek word. A different word for labor is used, and it means to toil, but also to teach. So both sowing and reaping take effort. But there is an obvious difference in that sowing is still harder. The reason I bring up this distinction is because it's important to understand why the field you are looking at looks the way it does. It's a great thing to make a determination in your mind and in your life that you want to be busy in the service of the Lord, to lift up your eyes and also look onto the fields. But when you lift up your eyes, you may find a field that is not ready for harvest. It may look more like a filthy, barren, rocky wasteland. But why? There may have been no one before you that has ever planted the seed of Christ where you are. Or it may have been planted so long ago that the benefits of the work that was done have passed with time. Is this place you now see before you hopeless? and not worth your effort? What does one do in such circumstances? 
Well, I think it's best to look to our Lord and Savior. What did Jesus do in these circumstances? Well, Matthew chapter 13 gives us a parable about it. It shows us through that parable that he sowed among all types of ground anyway. You ask farmers and you'll probably find that they won't throw their seed to the wayside. They won't throw it to the road where they're pretty certain that it won't grow. But not our Lord and Savior. He threw the seed to the wayside. He threw it on the thorny ground, the rocky ground, and even the good ground. And that's not an easy task. In fact, most of those grounds on the list are difficult. But I submit to you today that all Christians are capable of both sowing and reaping. It's just a matter of preparedness. Sowing the seed may take a little bit more work and patience. But if you only have the mind of a reaper, you may look at a field with the sole intent of picking up where someone else has left off. But if you don't get a reaper's results, it may make you feel like your effort is not effective. This is not a healthy way of approaching your contribution to the work of the Lord. And so I encourage you instead to think a little bit differently. Think more like a sower. How does a sower think? Well, a sower is ready to get to work and has no expectation of harvesting until the seed is sown, at the very least. A sower knows that it may take time for the seed of the gospel to take root and develop. With this in mind, I'd like to offer some practical advice that perhaps someone here might find helpful in the future. As it's already been stated in this meeting, you don't have to be an evangelist or a preacher or travel to distant lands to sow the word of God. You can sow the word of God right where you are. You just have to know your field. What do you see missing in the people around you? Look around. The gospel is for all, but different approaches fit different situations. So you need to learn what's needed and spread the word of God accordingly. And always make sure that your speech is always beneficial and seasoned with prudence, which is thoughtfulness for the future. We can find this in Colossians chapter 4 and 6. Think about the future impact of the words that you're saying in that moment and how you're saying them. Now we understand that even with the best choice of words, you're not going to please everyone. So don't use opposition to what you say as an excuse for not sharing God's word. In some places, the way you dress and act are the best way to show Christ. In other places, you may have the added benefit of speaking to people directly. So always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have in Christ. And we can find that in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Also, don't forget, you are not alone. You're not the first one to have the responsibility to share the gospel. Pray for guidance. Pray to God to, to help you to find the words to say. 
And also seek advice from your brothers and sisters in Christ on how to share the gospel. You don't have to think of it all by yourself. And here is one that I think is very important, and sometimes I feel like I've learned this one the hard way. Also remember that seeds are small and easy to plant. God doesn't require anyone to plant full-grown trees in the minds of men. You don't have to know the Greek and Hebrew definitions for all the words you use, and you don't always have to reference the Septuagint. By all means, use those resources whenever possible. But don't forget to give people something that they can actually process. And you may be the only one that knows in that particular situation what that is. How about these fields that I speak of? What kinds are there? Well, there's all kinds. Large fields and small fields. My field, personally, is my customer's home. So I go to many fields throughout my week. And I can spread the seed there. Your field may be a classroom where you may be a student. You can still sow the seed there as well. Did you know that you can sow seed with questions? You can plant ideas in people's minds to get them to understand something about the gospel, or at least to get their interest. You, if you ask a classmate, would you like to attend worship service with me? That counts. That's a start. Maybe you work from home, or you stay at home. Well, your field is your home. And that's called home field advantage. That's great. Use hospitality and invite acquaintances and neighbors into your field. I could go on and on and on, but I hope at this point the message is quite clear. So lastly, I'd like to cover one more scenario. Sometimes your environment may not be your main issue. Yes, the fields are difficult, but sometimes it actually may be you. Sometimes it actually may be me. If we are not paying attention, we can fail or we can fall into such comfortable routines that we stop growing. So maybe you need to, uh, maybe you need to lift up your eyes back to Jesus and think back to him and his lifestyle. Maybe you need to once again measure yourself to his standards again and determine if you are indeed lacking anything that you need to grow. And this is actually a good thing to check often, your spiritual growth. Christ was suited to every place he went, even if people rejected him, because he gained the necessary qualities and worked on growth. Yes, even our Lord and Savior learned and worked on growing. We can't forget that. And even Paul, he wrote about how he learned to become all things to all men. He learned to be adaptable so that he could just save some. And we can find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and 22. But I personally recommend 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 through 7. I think it's a great start. It gives a list of things that you need to look at in your life and see if you have these things and how much you have. Faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, 
brotherly kindness, and charity. How strong is your faith? And what about your virtue? Virtue is the strength to stand firm in your faith in Christ. What about knowledge? It means to know, to be aware. And as you stand firm in your faith, you gain awareness of God's will. What about temperance? Temperance is simply self-control, as our brother even mentioned before me. As you gain knowledge, it takes your self-control to choose God's will over your own. And that's a daily choice. And that's what we get into the next one. Patience. Patience is a cheerful endurance to continue in all of those things that you have gained. The self-control you've worked so hard for has to be maintained. And you have to do it with happiness and enthusiasm. If you're not enthusiastic, if you're not happy about maintaining your spirit and maintaining a godly lifestyle, you will eventually stop. You will lose it. And you will lose any effectiveness that you would have in any field. Endurance can be one of the hardest traits to keep especially when it's tested, but it must be maintained if you are to grow. In fact, I can't think of a single field that doesn't require patience. Next, we have godliness. This is holiness, which is a dedication to God. Your patience leads to full dedication to the will of God in every part of your life. And brotherly kindness. This is love for your brethren, your fellow Christians. Your full dedication to God results in your care for the body of Christ and its needs. And of course, charity, charity also meaning love. Even though the previous trait, brotherly love, is also about love, this love is an all-encompassing love, the same love that 1 John 4 and 8 says that God is. This love is not just a love toward God, Christ, and his church, but it is also toward our fellow man, our neighbors, the people in the field. All of these characteristics are needed to be a sower and a reaper because these are the attributes of Christ. Let us not forget that. It's not a random group of traits that God said, you know, give these a try. These completely mold you to be like your savior. Jesus Christ. Christ was full of all of these, and he used them. He used all of these to sow. Now we are assured that if we possess these and abound in them, that we will never be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord. We will always produce the fruit needed to be an example and draw others to Christ, even if they won't listen we will still be effective. In closing, I encourage all of us to prepare ourselves to be the best workers for Christ. Look into the mirror of the word. Make sure you are who you need to be to do the things God needs for you to do. And hopefully the next time that any of us look upon any field, wherever it may be, it won't matter the condition of that field. It could be white with harvest and it could be barren. We will be ready to do whatever is needed. Thank you.